Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 6.06 in the Twin Cities, and it's, gosh, it's just beautiful out right now. Uh, watching, though, the Kentucky Derby, and it looks like a monsoon just happened there. I mean, what the heck? Well, it, it's been raining there. The it. Over really the central plains, uh, right. Missouri into southern Illinois into Kentucky and Tennessee, it's been raining quite a bit the last basically over the last week. And so, once you get all this rain that's been flooding uh, parts of Missouri, parts of Arkansas, it moves east. It gets over Kentucky and Tennessee. That's where you're going to get uh, a lot of this sloppy track that you had. Now they did have it was a sunny. Uh, race. There was sunshine over the uh, over Churchfield or Churchill Downs. Churchill yeah. Downs, and the winner was like the favorite. Yes, always dreaming. He was the morning betting line favorite. He had been the favorite all week coming in. Okay, and I believe at the at post time he was actually a co favorite. Irish War Cry, right? Okay, was so, yeah. the other horse that they yeah. they both went off at nine to two. But, but these, these horses are, you know, just, just looking at like the replay here. It's like they look like they were just in the mud, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Just, oh yeah, sloppy tracks happen all the time. I mean, right. once you once you you're not going to change the date of the race. I mean, yeah. everything centers around the first Saturday in or in May uh, to get the Kentucky Derby going. Right. So this right. is the first race of the Triple Crown. Now the favorite has won. Now we'll see if he can continue to be the he'll be the favorite going into Baltimore. Right. Uh, for the Preakness Stakes. But we'll see if he can uh, continue this run and take it on to New York, take it on to Belmont. We will see. Um, do all, you know, listen, we have a really great show. And I, I, you know, I, I'm glad that we set it up this way because I think we've got a couple of interesting medical stories here um, coming up in this hour about homeopathic, natural, you know, healing oils, all those things you hear about. And I think for some people they do help, but we're going to talk to – uh, somebody about that. We're also going to talk to uh, the latest uh, news about inoculations and, and vaccines. And as a parent, I know it's scary when you take that tiny little child and th- that first year, it feels like you're just injecting this baby with everything. Well, there's been sort of a, a backlash in some communities, and now there's actually an outbreak of measles here in the Twin Cities, which is really scary stuff. I mean, that that is a potentially fatal disease. So we're going to talk to somebody about that, um, the myths versus the realities about vaccines. And I know a lot of parents are worried about that. In the 7 o'clock hour, we really have something special going on. Uh, My friend Liz Cullen did a fascinating story about a family that purchases a home and they get a ton of snakes in the home. I mean, can you imagine? I can't. I mean, that would just completely freak me out. We're going to revisit her story and talk to an expert about that. Um, we're also going to talk with uh, an author about – and think about this, the 10 plants that changed the course of Minnesota history. I mean, think about that. And, and there's actually a book that was written about the 10 plants that changed the course of world history. 
Uh, I think cotton was one of them. I mean, just think about it. But uh, this is what changed the course of Minnesota history. It's a fascinating look at different kinds of plants. And then in the 8 o'clock hour, folks, I am looking for your calls, your texts, your questions. We're going to revisit a story that I did earlier this week that took a long time to put together. It's about the tragic, tragic killing spree involving Andrew Cunanan. And he was the serial murderer who I think is obviously best known for killing Johnny Versace in July of 1997. But it all started here, folks, and it started with with the deaths of two wonderful men here, and then it moved on to Chicago, it moved on to New Jersey, and then it finally moved on that year to South Beach and the killing of Johnny Versace. So we're going to play my story, and I actually ended up going um, all over the nation trying to find this killer, trying to find Andrew Cunanan. And I ended up going down to South Beach that year. And it's a look back at some missteps that occurred here. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit uh, with, with one of the witnesses here. We'll, we'll talk to her. But I, I'd love to hear your thoughts, your calls, your concerns. Uh, you know, this is at, during the 8 o'clock hour. We're going to talk about that. My friend David Schultz is actually in Israel uh, this week. So... Uh, he is not available. Normally, we visit with him in the 8 o'clock hour. But the story of Andrew Cunanan, all the networks are doing it. Uh, Dateline did a two-hour special a week ago Friday. I know that CBS 48 Hours is doing it as well. Uh, 2020 is doing it. Uh, another FX actually is revisiting their very successful uh, and, and really amazing series on OJ. Well, this is what they're doing. They did the OJ s- story, and that won all kinds of awards. They're revisiting the Cunanan story. So I just want everyone to know that the 9 o'clock hour – or 8 o'clock hour, excuse me, we are going to be revisiting that story, and I would love to hear from you. We're going to put out the phone numbers for that hour. So anyway, uh, we've got a great show lined up for you. Esme Murphy along with studio coordinator Jonathan Lowe. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by an expert on natural healing and what you should know – does it provide any relief? How do you how do you put it together with conventional treatments? Uh, all of those answers coming up on News Radio Eight. It is a gorgeous evening. Sixty seven degrees here in the Twin Cities. That's amazing. Uh, Six fourteen. Esme Murphy with you until nine o'clock, along with Studio Coordinator Jonathan Lowe. Uh, this half hour, we are going to talk about natural healing. You know. What does that mean? What does that mean? Essential oils, you've heard that term. Does it work? Does it help? Well, joining us right now is Bruce Barras. He is the owner and traditional of Traditional Naturopathic Center for Natural Healing in Minneapolis. And joining us right now, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me, Ezra. Okay. All right. Let me ask you, Bruce, um, when people ask you, hey, essential oils, natural healing, does it really work? Obviously, you're in the business, but... What do you tell them? I, I tell them that it's been based on a long tradition of usage. Uh, I first started studying herbal medicine, which essential oils are a part of, about 40, almost 40 years ago. And it's, it's, natural medicine is based upon applied usage and clinical usage. In other words, if you use uh, uh, an oil, for instance, like eucalyptus oil for a, a skin infection, it, it helps. If it doesn't help, you wouldn't be using it. As people have used it over a period of time. So I, I believe it's useful, and I use it myself exclusively. And um, 
can be either a complement or for some people who aren't familiar, aren't accepting a regular medicine, it can be alternative uh, for a number of conditions. All right. And, and so, so I know that there's sort of a, a broad array of different kinds of uh, natural and homeopathic sure uh, medicines and, and remedies available. Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody, and eucalyptus, uh, I think people you know, are familiar with that, mm-hmm. uh, aloe vera, I think people are familiar with that perhaps yes. for burns, but mm-hmm. where do you get in and, and how do you decide when to use something, when do you recommend it to your physician? Are there certain hospitals or you know, general practitioners who are using it more as a complementary aid to help people? There are some. I don't have a list of who is really. Um, there tends to be some who dabble in it, and I know uh, some of my heart patients, who rec- their, their, their medical doctors are recommending fish oil and things like this. So there's some cross crossover going on, um, and sometimes there's people going just separate ways: people doing either natural or doing more medicinal, or people using it in conjunction with each other and either informing their doctor or not. There seems to be some variation going on. We're kind of a time of transition and change, and it's been that way for a long time, so that we just have to uh, uh, weave our way between the two systems in some ways. Okay, and so you've been doing this for 40 years. Yes. Bruce? Yes, I have. Okay, and and, and has anything changed? Because 40 years ago, people looked at this and kind of were like, oh, this is weird and kind of kooky and crazy. What what has changed here, and what which essential oils, which homeopathic remedies do you think are the most broadly accepted, and the ones that people might want to consider first? Well, uh, you know, lavender oil is is an essential oil. It's good for relaxing, and that's something that could be uh, used <clears throat> considered first, perhaps. Um, the uh, peppermint oil has various kinds of properties. You know, it's kind of confusing. We're used to medicines, and medicines have a very narrow range of action in some ways, and herbs and herbal oils tend to be a little bit broader action against it. Peppermint oil can be for upset stomach. It can be for uh, digestive disturbances. Uh, there's a number of reasons it could be used. Uh, so there's a number of oils. Uh, oregano oil is used for topically for skin problems and for some kind of infections. Now, essential oils are, are, should be used with some uh, understanding of how to use them. And if they're used topically in the skin, normally they're diluted with an olive oil or something like this because they're very strong. Uh, so there's some knowledge about how to use them properly. So it might be uh, better either read up on it or to find a practitioner who's using essential oils. And, and, and who, who would, like, what kind of person would be a practitioner? I mean, what kind of training do they get? Well, they'd either be a traditional naturopath or a naturopath or an herbalist for the most part. Uh, people who do homeopathy may or may not do essential oils because there's thought to be a conflict between the two. So there's not as much of that. Uh, well, well, help us out here. What is the difference between homeopathy and then using... Homeopathy is kind of an energetic medicine using very dilute amounts of substances prepared in a special way that help activate a change in the body. They're kind of like electricity. They're not well understood. They're not accepted medically very well. Okay, but how about the essential oils? Are they being used by traditional MDs? Or, 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 or are traditional MDs increasingly looking at this as a supplement to their treatments? In some situations they are, and sometimes it's nurses who are into this, getting into the hospitals and using them that way. And they're being allowed to do it because it's considered a topical thing or it's not a, a taking a medicine necessarily, so it's, not, it's they're allowed in because of that reason. 
Okay. And let me ask you this. I mean, how much of this is the placebo effect? I mean, lavender obviously is is a gorgeous smelling scent. And I, I know that that's been recommended for years for, for many, many things. Mm-hmm. And you smell it and you relax it. Yeah. You, you, you feel more relaxed. Um, but how much of that is sort of the, as I said, the placebo effect that you're kind of thinking, well, gee, this smells really good and I'm more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's it. <laughs> yes, don't get me started. You could do a PhD on what's a placebo and what's not. Uh, even medications have a placebo effect. That's one of the reasons they work. I think, think I think that's very fair. We think placebo means that it's that it's fake, and it just means we don't know how it works, or it's it's done without uh, a chemical necessarily. So placebo. Well, has I think I think the also. mind is is a very powerful tool. It, it, is, it is, and I think I think we can all agree on that. Yes. But but let me ask you about um, you know other alternative treatments like acupressure or reflexology, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. I mean, there's so much out there now, and I think a lot of consumers wonder and, and worry and think, well, should I try this? Maybe it will help, especially people who are, are suffering with a chronic condition. Well, it's not that dangerous, and it doesn't take too much difficulty to try a couple of treatments to see if it's going to help you or not. You know, acupressure or reflexology, like acupuncture, is all based upon the idea that uh, when we're not well, the energy system in our body is not flowing properly. And we want to help improve that uh, to get it flowing properly again. And acupressure is either done with pressure or it's done with finger points on the body using the biomagnetic pressures in the body to create circuits in the body, the same way we would with electrical acupuncture. Uh, but it's to move through that energy in the body. I use it myself um, and find it to be effective for situations myself. And, you know, I, I think like some people, and this is not just adults we're talking about, I mean, you know, some you know, medical practitioners are considering this for children as well. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? I think so. What What would you advise somebody? This is something you've been looking at for years. In the 40 years you've been doing this, what has changed? And, and are there differences and advances in this area? There are more remedies available, and there are um, uh, more different usages than there used to be. There's more essential oils available than there used to be. There's more vitamins available than there used to be. Uh, and if we go on the Internet, we find a plethora of information, not all of it true. And that's confusing to people because there's all kinds of people promoting things that may not be true on the Internet sometimes. That is true. Uh, <laughs> I think we all, we all know that. But what I – mean, and, and, you know, at the end of the day here, I mean, I think every single person I know is spending more out of pocket – on medical care, and yeah. and I, I, you know, my, for those that are, are suffering from chronic conditions, mm-hmm. uh, these are the people who are exploring these kinds of alternatives the most because they're they're spending the time, the money, they're not getting the relief, but yet this is an ad- additional cost. Yeah. And, and what would you say to those people? Yeah, well, I would say um, health is it's worthwhile spending the money on it. Uh, there's if you're not getting well. In one system, it doesn't pay to keep doing the same thing that's not working for you. If it's working for you, that's fine. If it's not, then it may be a good time to explore alternatives. In terms of satisfaction, because you've been doing this, as I said, for, for four decades, mm-hmm. is there one particular like set of essential oils or one essential oil that seems to be getting more patient satisfaction than others? Oh, 
I mean, it, what, what's the oil that people come to you and say, oh, my gosh, this was really great? Well, or are there more than one? And if there are, there's so more than one, and like there's there's a combination we use for for sleep, but it's not just one herb. It's a passion flower, lavender, go to cola, skullcap, and passion flower. Is is that like a tea, or is no, it? That's that's like a that's like an herb. It's again essential oils means it's it's been an oil extraction process. It's a different way of preparing an herb. When we make an herb tea, we're using a water extraction. That's a different thing. It's not quite as concentrated again. And tends to be more safer. Herbal oils can be a little concentrated, so they should be used properly. Okay, but is there a, is there one or two that that, that seem to get the best reviews from from people? Or uh, you know, peppermint oil just comes up a lot, and then that's one that comes up quite a bit. And and, and, what, and again, what is that used for? Because I know you mentioned it's used that before. for anything from headaches to stomach upset. So it's kind of hard to figure out according to the regular medical system. Okay, and and like when you say peppermint oil, how do you um, consume it? Do you do you put it in? As I said, if your it, tea it, or oil. Essential oils are usually either used topically. In other words, they might be applied to a certain part of the body, like the forehead or the back of the head. Oh, really? Uh, and they can also be put in an infuser uh, to allow them to evaporate into the air again, like eucalyptus oil. You might do that with in some situations. Okay, so I, and my my friend Jonathan Lowe is nodding, you know, saying yes. Uh, so you put the peppermint oil on the forehead. Well, let me give you an example. I recently had an incident. Um, Not in the forehead. <laughs> no, yeah, no. You you. I had an incident where I uh, woke up with a very stiff neck to the point where I was. And you're I, a healthy guy, uh, slender, uh, you know, fit. I, I, but I always I have had uh, issues with just neck cramping and and. You know, sleeping on it in weird positions, and right. so the next day I, it's really bad, uh, and it's hard for me to even turn my turn my head. Right. Uh, there was, and and my mother is background. My mother has been into natural sort of healing uh, and natural uh, conditions for many years. Okay. And so I, I've some of that has rubbed off on me. But there was a, a coworker of mine. I I got up one morning, had a very Badly cramped neck, uh, barely could move my my neck, barely could move my head, twisted from side to side, and she had a peppermint oil, uh, a roll-on canister, a small roll-on really? canister, and basically what you would do is you would roll this on on the back of your neck in that affected area, and just go ahead and use that sparingly, but mm-hmm. but you'd use it consistently and try to loosen up the neck muscles. And get it to where you could turn and and sort of stretch out your neck. Did it help? It did help. And uh, when and, I, and, and and like oh so and did you like go around smelling of peppermint oil? Which I I, I love peppermint. Do. Yeah, you do. You you do smell of peppermint. <laughs> I love that oil. smell personally. And, but and then later that evening, there was a health food store that I go to fairly often, and uh, I was going to get something for myself, and I got a topical cream that had peppermint oil and really? into okay. it and you could use the, it the, you can use it in different ways but it you you would rub it right on the infected area yes so natural medicines can be used for chronic long term conditions that we've had a long term time but it's also we all have things like Jonathan has that come up and if we can treat them naturally and simply to help them go away when they're happening then they don't become chronic again so natural health can, uh, remedies can be very helpful for those kind of things also well as and as i said he's you know a 
slender, fit-looking guy, you know. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, that, that's really I could use some time at the gym. I really could, honestly <laughs> speak. We're used to waiting until we, men especially, used to waiting until they break down to go to the doctor, and that's kind well, of... Well, yeah. <laughs> if we can do it earlier. Uh, and more of a lifetime, you know, I, I'm getting out in my years now, so there's things that I, I treat by myself, and I, don't, I regard myself as being very healthy, but I still have some issues. Well, I... I who doesn't these yeah. days? Um, we're chatting with Bruce Boras. Um, he is an expert on naturopathic um, and it's with the Center for Natural Healing. Uh, Bruce, where, where should people go for advice? Do they just Google it on the Internet? I mean, where can they, people find you? Well, they can look under natural healing or naturopaths, um, or they can check with a health food store or friends who've gone to someone like this. Okay. And, and Jonathan m- mentioned peppermint oil, and I next time I get all messed up here I, I might try that and any others that that you can suggest that are pretty good uh oregano, it, like i say oregano oil for any skin condition or where there's an infection going on something like that mean like a an eczema or uh, an eczema or a fungal infection or something like this oregano oh. oil is antibacterial really yeah i didn't even know there was such a thing as mm-hmm. oregano oil okay and yeah. and obviously there are um Many of sort of like you know essential oils are sold. I think in a lot of um, yeah. you know places. I'm sure, I'm sure that you have them, and, and uh, other like you know co-ops have them as well. But you know, we've heard about this recent outbreak of measles that's happening, and I don't see a lot of people with measles. It's not happened very often. So I went through my remedies today, and there's a two, three homeopathic remedies for that that are very helpful, and um, certain vitamins that are helpful for that. So I, I realized what would happen with that, and it also said that these children are not eating right when they. Or they wouldn't have such a big outbreak of measles. Well, okay, you know something? That is the perfect segue into um, teasing ahead. Uh, sir, thank you so much. Okay. Uh, you know, we do have to take a break because we have to give you some weather. Um, I will bring that up because um, we will speak with an expert about an outbreak of measles. Uh, I believe this expert is going to cite that this particular outbreak is related to the fact that people are not getting their children vaccinated. But this is a very, very serious illness, uh, one that can be deadly and that at one time, you know, a number of decades ago was deadly. Uh, interesting, uh, you know, that Bruce mentions that there are some, you know, homeopathic remedies. Uh, I'll ask that of, of our next guest, Dr. Don Martin. But first, we do have to take a break. Uh, after the break, we'll give you some weather and then um, we will talk about the outbreak of measles and I think the pushback uh, in, from a number of people, including our president, who's raising questions about vaccines and children and should we be getting vaccinated. So uh, keep it right here. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 6.33 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with uh, studio coordinator Jonathan Lowe. We are trying to reach uh, Dr. Don Martin, who's uh, with the pediatrics department at HCMC, uh, to talk about the outbreak of measles. We're having a little bit of trouble here uh, coordinating with her. We may have uh, a number that might be slightly off. But um, anyway, uh, as I said, we hope to get in touch with her and... Uh, you know, kind of figure that out. I mean, it, it was interesting to hear uh, Bruce Boras talk about that situation and how difficult, uh, you know, and, and the kinds of alternative remedies there are for different 
different kinds of things, including measles. One of the problems, though, is that, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see if we do get uh, Dr. Don Martin um, just to see if for somebody like – for an, an issue like that, I think that can be something that is extremely difficult. And so I think that that's something that we'll have to check on and see. I do want to let you know as we try and get Dr. Martin – what lies ahead here? Um, in the 7 o'clock hour, we're going to revisit a story uh, that my friend and colleague Liz Cullen did uh, about uh, somebody who bought a new home and in the span of just six months found 95 live snakes inside the basement. And I, you know, I'm somebody who freaks out with a mouse, much less uh, – Live snakes. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that, and then we're gonna talk with a pest control expert because I think almost anybody, no matter, matter where you live, has some kind of issue here in Minnesota. You know, we are such a wonderful place, but let's face it: one of the things that's so great is that even if you live in the immediate metro area, I live in Minneapolis. We've got all kinds of animals in our backyard. It's wonderful, but you also occasionally might have the mouse come in. That kind of thing. Also, uh, that uh, in the 7 o'clock hour, we are going to talk with uh, Mary Meyer, who's a professor and an author who's written a book called 10 Plants That Changed Minnesota. I, I think this is a really fascinating book. There's actually a, a book that has been written uh, on the world perspective uh, that is really interesting that about the 10 plants that actually changed uh, all of the U.S. And – uh, as I said, we're going to continue to try and do that. And then in the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to revisit a story that I did this week that was for WCCO television that was one of the most difficult stories I have worked on in a long time. And I don't, I don't mean to say and I don't mean to um, dismiss or, or minimize what the story was about and, and say that, oh, this was so hard on me. But it, it was – a tragic story that happened 20 years ago in which two very wonderful people from Minnesota were, were killed, murdered. And the man who killed them ended up going on this spree of killings and ended up killing Johnny Versace. It started here. And it was a series of murders that at first, even here in Minnesota, did not get the attention that it deserved. I think it was, in fact, perhaps... Dismissed because, as one investigator said to uh, another reporter, it was they thought it was, quote, a gay thing. Uh, but Andrew Cunanan was responsible for this spree killing. And it took the lives of five wonderful men 20 years ago. And I revisited that story because I covered it. I revisited that story uh, Wednesday night on WCCO television. You can find the story at WCCO.com. What was interesting and so sad looking back is that all I could think of was the level and breadth of this tragedy. Um, yes, there were missteps. Um, yes, there were uh, indications that police departments, including the one here in Minneapolis, did not have the kinds of connections to the gay community. But it's a story that I think uh, happened at the tail end of the AIDS epidemic. And there are so many issues about this story. And I, and I, I just – I'm grateful to my colleagues that helped me put it together. 
this past Wednesday, stories at WCCO.com. There was so much, though, that I wanted to get in this story and then I couldn't and that I wanted to express because of what I remember reporting on 20 years ago, which obviously was a very long time, and then what I reported on this year. So tonight at 8 o'clock, uh, you know, after the news break, so about 8.10, we're going to play that story. Um, I'm going to give sort of my thoughts. I, I'm going to welcome phone calls, 651-989-9226, 1-866-989-9226. This is at 8.10, folks. Um, and we're going to revisit the hunt for Andrew Cunanan. And I think it's really important for people to, to look at this story and what it was and what, what we reported on and uh, what we learned. And it, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult story because it was hard to put it together because we did so many stories uh, back then in 1997. And uh, I tried my best to put it together. Anyway, so we're going to revisit that. We're also going to revisit and visit with with one of the original people that I interviewed in 1997, the caretaker uh, of one of the apartments in downtown Minneapolis. But now I believe we do have uh, Dr. Don Martin, who is uh, a pediatrician with HCMC, and we're going to talk about this new outbreak of measles here in the Twin Cities. Uh, Dr. Martin, thank you so much for joining us this evening. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Dr. Martin, let me ask you, why are we seeing an outbreak of measles in 2017 in the Twin Cities? Well, that's a great question. Um, You know, unfortunately, we're seeing an outbreak mostly in unvaccinated children. So we know that for most of the children in Minnesota, who have received their MMR vaccine at one and then usually a second dose at kindergarten, they're very well covered against this serious vaccine-preventable disease. So, again, sadly, it's mostly in children who are unvaccinated. Let me ask you, Dr. Martin, so this is happening, I guess, you know, amongst children that aren't vaccinated. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that, that's difficult is that people are – I think a lot of people are have anxieties about the number of vaccinations that children get, especially when they're that little. I mean, it's hard. You've got this tiny little thing and you're taking them to the doctor every few weeks and, and we got them all. But I, I remember thinking, gosh, this is a little baby and it's hard. You know, it it, it is hard um, to think about a baby getting, you know, a number of injections. And I certainly can understand that sometimes uh, it can feel overwhelming to a young parent. But the vaccines that we're giving today are very safe and they're studied very rigorously in the combinations that we've been using now for decades. And they're protecting our infants and children against very serious diseases like whooping cough, measles, meningitis, pneumonia, you know, diseases that I think some of us, um, you know, who have or younger parents maybe have not, not seen these diseases. But I do remember, you know, as a young child and certainly hearing from my parents about outbreaks of these dreaded diseases and, you know, families and parents being interested in anything they could do to protect their infants and children. So we certainly want to 
to do the best that we can as pediatricians and in public health to protect um, again, against these very dreaded diseases. Right. And but, 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 but what you're saying is that the measles outbreaks you are seeing here uh, amongst children here are, are amongst children that have not been vaccinated. Yes, it's predominantly against children who have not received the measles vaccine. Okay. And are Most there any children, cases where, where, where children who have been vaccinated? Because, and again, I think it's like a series of three vaccinations. Are there any cases of children who have gotten measles who have been vaccinated that you know of? And I realize well, so there. So measles is given. There are two doses of that vaccine: one that we give at around age one, and one that's given in kindergarten. And I think and the health department reported on Friday that we're up to now forty-five cases. And I think 43 of those cases are in unvaccinated individuals. So there are one or two cases in this outbreak where um, individuals have received the vaccine. Most of the time, if that occurs, the the disease is milder. But this is predominantly an outbreak in unvaccinated children. So if you if you let me ask you this. So if you um, have a child that's vaccinated and somehow they're exposed to a child that has not been vaccinated and has measles. I mean, is that how they're getting it? And is there something about their particular immune system? And I hear what you're saying, that it's less serious. But is is there something about the kids that have been vaccinated that are still getting it that makes them especially vulnerable? Well, I'll be honest. I don't know the unique circumstances of, of again, the one or two individuals that have been vaccinated, um, whether they're more vulnerable immunologically or their personal history. I don't have that information. I think the important thing for people to realize is that if your child has been vaccinated, if they've gotten the first dose, usually we estimate that's about 95% protection against measles. And after you've had that second dose, usually at age four to six, you're pretty close to 98 to 99% protected against getting measles. So I think... And and measles can be deadly. Am I right? Yes. And I think, you know, that's a very important thing to remember is that this is a potentially deadly disease. It's a serious disease. It's highly contagious. If I were in a room of individuals and I coughed and I had measles and there were individuals in that room that were unvaccinated, 90% of them would get measles. It is highly contagious. So we have tremendous respect for this infection. Um, We want to protect children. We know that complications from measles include diarrhea, ear infections, pneumonia, hospitalization, and sometimes even brain infections or encephalitis and unfortunately death. Oh. So it is a disease that we, we need to respect and we need to really uh, be grateful that we have a vaccine that can protect us against it. Um, let me ask you this. Um, Mr. You know, President Trump has indicated and made a number of statements suggesting that he has concerns about vaccines. Um, he has been backed up by uh, and actually has had meetings with uh, somebody who I think most people would automatically consider to be on the opposite side of the aisle 
um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the son of uh, the late Bobby Kennedy, uh, and mm-hmm. they have expressed concerns about vaccinations and, and also talked about this su- suggestion, which is remains out there, about some perhaps link to autism. From where you sit as a medical doctor, as a pediatrician at Hennepin County Medical Center, one of the best facilities anywhere, what what do you say to that? Because that comes up time and time again. Mm-hmm. Well, firstly, I, I would say that there is no scientific evidence to support a cause and effect between MMR and autism. And I think... Or, or any other vaccine? Or any other vaccine. Okay, because the president, uh, the president while, you know, before he was president, has tweeted about this, and there are a lot of other people that believe it, even though people such as yourself, medical professionals, have just gone to the mat time and time again and say, no, there's mm-hmm. no evidence of this. There is no evidence of this. And I, I know that there is um, a, a, a very common concern about that, and I'm aware of some of the things that President Trump has been uh, tweeting, communicating. But if you really go to the literature and you go to science, there is no association. Vaccines are some of the most uh, rigorously studied medications and um, uh, things that we do in medicine. It, there is, um, I have great confidence in the safety of our vaccines. I have vaccinated all my own children. I recommend it um, for my my own and, and and that that's or, a biggie. I think I think if you have a doctor that vaccinates their own children, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yes, you are a medical professional, but you are a a parent first, <laughs> and this is what you say. You have gotten your children all these vaccines. Yes, and I and I would um, and and I, I should say that I've gotten my I, children all the vaccines that are available. You know, I I I. I have the utmost respect for our pediatrician. I mean, my children are teenagers now, and I, you know, if he tells me that this is something that's good and important, mm-hmm. I trust him, you know, and I we and have I gone think, with that. You know, and I think that that's an important thing to emphasize, that, um, you know, families, I, I really recommend that, it, you know, families who have young children have a health care provider that they trust, whether it's a pediatrician, a family doctor, a nurse clinician, a nurse practitioner, someone that they can have these conversations with, that they can get reliable information from. You know, and I think the other thing that we sometimes do is we, we don't talk about the risk of leaving our children unvaccinated. Um, and I think what's going on right now in the Twin Cities is an example of that. We make a decision. We leave our children vulnerable, vulnerable to very serious diseases. And I really would feel terrible if an infant whose parents chose, say, not to vaccinate against hip meningitis or pneumococcal pneumonia, you know, if that infant or child for some reason ended up, you know, getting that infection and succumbing to it in a serious way, that's a tragedy. So I think that... Well, I, and I didn't mean to cut you off, doctor, but, but so, so you're saying, are you finding in your practice, though, and I don't know how many vaccines the, the kids, these babies get, and I don't know if there are more, but I, I do think that I think any parent, you know, it, it's a little 
tough. Uh, you know, when you see the, these little children get get vaccinated, it is a little overwhelming. Are there some vaccines that that people are skipping more than others? Well, you know, I would say that there probably is more resistance to the measles vaccine and perhaps to influenza. Most parents, I think the important thing to emphasize is that most parents, most families in Minnesota say yes to vaccines. Um, They want their children protected. I think some of the concerns that come up are commonly around the MMR, which we've talked about. And that's that's the measles one. And and that's where you need two. And and why that one? I mean, why are people more concerned about this one. I mean, I just, well, I th- that was like a I million think- years ago for me, as I said, my kids are teenagers. Yeah. I know we got them both, but why are people more concerned about that one? I think the concern is with respect to this uh, association, if you will, with the, with possibly with autism. And again, I which, think you, which you say has com- been completely debunked. I do think it's been completely defunct. Again, I think there is sound um, and clear and very rigorous scientific evidence that there is no association with either the measles. We don't have measles-only vaccine anymore in this country, but the MMR vaccine and autism. And I think um, we need to continue um, giving that message and reassuring parents And um, what we've seen actually in my own practice during this outbreak, we have had concerned families come back to us and say, I want the MMR. I don't want my child to get measles. I want to start with, you know, I want to go forward with this vaccine. So um, we have seen a lot of acceptance now in our own practice at HCMC of families coming forward and wanting the vaccine. Okay. Can I ask you about another vaccine? Because as I said, I do have teenagers, the HPV vaccine, Mm -hmm. Uh, because that's something that I, and I've gotten my children that, and it's a little bit difficult to think about, well, you know, if your children are going to be sexually active and, you know, because they're they're pretty young when they get it. And we, Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, tell us about what that does and your thoughts about that one, because I think that's one that I hear parents talking about as the mother of teenagers. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the HPV vaccine is a vaccine that we um, routinely recommend for adolescents at age 12, and um, it prevents... For both boys um, and girls. For boys and girls. It prevents uh, cervical cancers, anal genital cancers, and and um, genital warts. And we know, again, that it's highly effective. It protects against probably close to 80% of cervical cancer uh, in young women. Um, And we know that if we give the vaccine early, we are more effective. And we time it with other vaccines that we routinely give to teenagers, including a meningitis vaccine and their tetanus whooping cough uh, booster. Okay. Because I think think for a lot of parents, including me, it's very difficult when you Look at something like this and you think, mm-hmm. well, my child's not sexually active, obviously, at, at 12. Um, but it's it's sort of a leap. And again, I, you know, I, I am very grateful that, mm-hmm. you know, my family has had the my, – and my children have had the benefit of a fabulous, fabulous pediatrician. And so if he says it, 
I'm there. You know, You're there. Um, That's great. It, you know, but it, it is sort of a difficult moment there. You're already dealing with all these other things that are happening with your child and they're suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're like, really? Well, and it's hard. I think it's hard for people. You know, I think it, it, it it's understandable by why it might be uncomfortable, but I, there is actually good literature out there to suggest that there's nothing about getting the vaccine that increases sexual activity or promiscuity that it really is something that we know that with respect to timing and how the vaccine works, that it is indeed more effective if we give it early. And we know that we have um, teenagers in already at that time, uh, at a very important time to begin a vaccine series. And it has made uh, more sense in how we deliver care to teenagers to do it at that time. Um, we know the protection then lasts through a period when they might be um, more vulnerable. Okay. If somebody, um, if somebody has questions, if they are just not sure, if they're wondering, is there someplace they can go to? Can they, where, where do you go? Because I think these are people who are well-meaning parents mm-hmm. who, who are having a tough time here in some cases, what, what would you suggest they do? Or is there someplace they can turn to for answers or questions uh, in addition to their, their own physician? Yes. I think um, there are several um, places that I would recommend. One would be our own health department. We have an excellent health department and I would go to the Minnesota department of health and you can look up a particular vaccine and there's information there um, there, it's categorized. So it's M- MD, Minnesota Department of Health, which is easy Minnesota to Minnesota Department of Health okay. is a good source. Um, All right. Well, listen, I I'm sorry. I have to cut you off there, Dr. Martin. I apologize. Okay. But great information. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Yes. And thank you so much for having me on. All right. Absolutely. We do have to take a break. we got news at the top of the hour. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 